Welcome to the Sunday Service Podcast of First Universalist Church of Minneapolis. We are a radically welcoming and progressive religious community deeply committed to love, justice, and living out our values in the world. To learn more, visit us at firstuniversalistchurch.org. You gotta put one foot in front of the other and lead with love. Put one foot in front of the other and lead with love. You gotta put one foot in front of the other and lead with love. Put one foot in front of the other and lead with love. Did you hear that there's a little surprise in the middle there? There's a little surprise. It's on the word put, right? Make sure that I'm not, the, I'm not the only one surprising. Everybody gets the surprise, right? Goes like this. You gotta put one foot in front of the other and lead with love. Put one foot in front of the other and lead with love. One more time. You gotta put one foot in front of the other and lead with love. Put one foot in front of the other and lead with love. Good morning, everybody. It's the truth. You got to put one foot in front of the other and lead with love. Yes, yes, indeed. There are two parts available to you. There's the part we just learned. You gotta put one foot in front of the other and lead with love. Put one foot in front of the other and lead with love. If you like that one, then you're all done with rehearsal, okay? But if you are craving some more adventure, try this one on for size. One foot, one foot, one foot, your turn. One in front of the other one. In front of the other one. Now listen to that together. Oh, what an adventure. One foot, one foot, one foot. In front of the other one. One foot. One foot, one foot, and lead with love. That's it. One foot, one foot, one foot, in front of the other one. One foot, one foot, one foot, and lead with love. Will someone sing the tune? You gotta put one foot in front of the other, and lead with love. Yes, one foot in front of the other and lead with second part, join. One foot, one foot, one foot in front of the other one. One foot, one foot, one foot and lead with love. Oh man, y'all sing so beautifully in the morning. That's wonderful. At, at a certain time, I might shout out at, out at you, don't give up hope. And your turn. Yes, to repeat right after me. Don't give up hope. You're not alone. Don't you give up. Keep moving on. You gotta put one foot in front of the other and lead with love. Yes. Excellent. You have everything you need to do well by this song, except a little rhythm. Will you help me keep a beat? One, two, one, two, one. Away we go. You gotta put one foot in front of the other and Well done, yes. And lead with love. And 
Don't give up hope. You're not alone. Don't you give up. Keep moving on. You gotta put and lead with love. You got it. And lead with one more time. You gotta put. could panic over where our world has wound up or where we've yet to arrive in the last week. But we are choosing to keep company with calm, to bring ourselves together to listen for love's next call. We are giving our separateness a break and resting for a while in community and common purpose. We are putting our suspicions and sarcasms down. We are picking up the courage to tell the truth to each other and look each other in the eye and to speak with particular care. We are going to laugh and we're going to sing because we're serious about joy and unity. And within those things, joy and unity, lie more power to change the world for good than rage could ever keep. Welcome to church. Welcome to First Universalist Church of Minneapolis. Wherever you are, here, online, you may even be in tomorrow watching this. If you have come expecting perfection, I encourage you to change your mind. But if you have come to find a place with the people who want to build a community where no one is too young, too old, too queer, too hetero, too black, too brown, too white, too wealthy, too poor, too disabled to lead our common journey, too ineloquent to have a voice, too timid to make a difference that shakes the status quo, then you have found just the place. Love is living here and growing in our hands and hearts. And we want to make room for every single one of us here and beyond. Come, let us celebrate. Let us choose the truth and joy. Let us comfort each other 
and keep each other for a while. Let us mean something to this day which has come to mean life for us. May we find healing and holiness in this hour. May the way to love come clearer. And may we take the journey together. I invite you, my friends, to begin the journey together. Let's take three breaths as one. Find a comfortable space to breathe, to notice that you are breathing. Perhaps your feet want to be in communion with the floor beneath you to remind you of the blessing of being in this place. Let us breathe together. Three breaths. In and out. In and out. In and out. With our gathered breath, let us be together in joy, in truth, in love. Let us worship together. Friends, uh, note, especially if you are new among us or you consider yourself still to be a newcomer, first of all, welcome. It takes a lot to cross the doors of a church. Thank you for trusting us with this time. We hope to meet you with a warm welcome. And if you're looking to deepen your conversation with First Universalist, if you just want to know what we're about, we've got a thing called a place to start. And it is a place to start. It happens after each of the services through these doors and to the left. And there, a representative from our congregation will, is willing to be in conversation with you, to answer your questions, to, uh, to talk with you as you decide if this is a place you'd like to put down spiritual roots while you're here. We would love to welcome you. Consider a place to start as your starting place. We begin uh, again, we've already begun actually. We begin again, again in love by lighting the chalice cup with the flame. The symbol of Unitarian Universalism all over the world and across time. While Lori lights the chalice, I invite you to say the words with me that we use as a covenant to hold us together. Love is the spirit of this church. Service is its law. This is our great covenant to dwell together in peace, to serve truth and love, and to help one another. Thank you. Thank you. You good? Yeah. We'll good morning, everyone. My name is Lori Stevens, and I am your Cummins Ministerial Intern for this church year. And it is, oh! Thank you. So sweet of you. I am really excited to share a story from our Christian Universalist heritage with you this morning. Just in case you're not familiar, we're Unitarian Universalists, but before we were that, there were Unitarians and there were Universalists. So this one comes from the Universalists. Back in the day, which is my generation's way of saying once upon a time, uh, there was a little boy named Hosea Baloo. Not Blue the color, but Baloo. Isn't that a fun name? And Hosea, like many children, loved to learn new things and ask questions. He loved to play games like hide and seek. 
But Hosea's most favorite way to play was in the mud. Hosea loved mud. He loved making mud pies. He loved taking sticks and poking it into a puddle to see how deep the mud went. He, it didn't matter if it was sticky or squishy, loved it. It didn't matter if it was too dry for there to be mud. He would just fill up a bucket with water and he would make some mud puddles of his own. And if it rained and it was really muddy, that was his favorite because then he could run and jump in the mud puddles with both feet and see how high he could splash himself and usually his brothers and sisters also. <laughs> so Hosea loved mud. But you might not be surprised to hear that not everyone in Hosea's family loved mud quite as much. <laughs> his mother had passed away before he had even turned two. And so he was usually taken care of by his two older sisters. One of them helped do the family's laundry, and she got really tired of having to scrub all this mud off of Hosea's clothing and off of all of his brothers' and sisters' clothing when he splashed them. And another sister would help get the youngest kids clean. She would give them baths, and she got really tired of having to scrub his, uh, all the mud off of him. And he didn't like it either, because like a lot of kids, he didn't really like baths that much. And getting water poured on his head and in his eyes and all that perfectly good mud down the drain. No fun. So his sisters loved him, and so they would do these things. They would always try to get him clean after he splashed in the mud, but they started to get a little frustrated. So they went to his father, and they were like, Father, can you please talk to Hosea? Can you ask him not to play in the mud, please? And so his father called him in. He goes, Hosea. <laughs> Hosea, you should not play in the mud. And Hosea goes, Why? Because like lots of kids, ooh, he loved asking why. And his father said, his father was a Baptist preacher. So he goes, just like we try to be good and be kind to each other and to follow God's plan, we also try to stay clean. And Hosea goes, okay, father, I'll try. And he really did. He tried to stay clean. But sometimes the mud was just there. He would be going to the chicken coop to pick up some eggs. And there'd be a big mud puddle right in the entrance of the, of the pen. Couldn't help it. Got a little muddy. Or he had to feed the pigs. And of course, the pig pen's just full of mud. Got a little muddy. And once he was already a little muddy, he was like, I might as well play in it just a little bit. And so unfortunately, he got all muddy, and his sisters had to wash him clean all over again. And they went back to his father. And he said, Father, please, can you get Hosea to stop playing in the mud? We're doing so much laundry. And so his father called him in again. He goes, Hosea, oops, Hosea, you must not play in the mud. And Hosea felt really guilty. He was like, I'm sorry, Father, you're right. I, I really did try. I tried to stay clean. Oh, are you really angry with me? And his father gave him, oh, he gave him one of these. I'm disappointed in you, Hosea. And I'm a little angry. And Hosea goes, oh, I'm sorry. Um, do you still love me? And his father goes, yes, Hosea, of course I still love you. And Hosea goes, will you still love me even if, even if I get muddy again? And his father goes, yes, Hosea. Will you still love me if I get really muddy again? Yes, Hosea, of course. Will you love me even if I get mud in between my toes and behind my knees and in my armpits and behind my ears? Will you still love me then? Yes, Hosea, I will always love you. Even if you, you get muddy, no matter what you do, I will always love you. But please, try to stay clean. So... He did. He tried really hard. And Hosea grew, grew into a teenager, and he didn't like to place in the mud so much anymore, but he loved to ask lots of questions still. So he goes to his dad sometimes, and he asks him lots of questions about God and, and H-E double hockey sticks and all these complicated questions that teenagers, I work with the teenagers here at this church, they ask great big questions. But he didn't really, him and his father didn't quite see eye to eye on all the answers. 
So he started to read the Bible really closely and ask a lot of religious people what they thought about these big questions. And he started to go to a couple of universalist churches nearby. And when he was about 19, he decided that he believed in something called universal salvation, which means that God loves everyone and that nobody would go to H-E double hockey sticks. And uh, it was different than what his father believed at the Baptist church. So he goes to his father and he says, Father, I have this new exciting thing I want to tell you about universal salvation. And his father goes, Hosea, how can you believe such a thing? How can you believe that even bad people would go to heaven? And he goes, well, Father, it's, it's just like when I was a kid. And you told me that even if I get muddy, and though you might get disappointed in me or a little angry, you'd still love me no matter what. And I think God's like that. I, I think that God has a, a way more love than we can even understand, and, and he would never do anything to hurt us. So Hosea grew up and became a universalist minister and started to tell people this story all the time. And that's an important story from our Christian universalist heritage. Thank you. Thank you, Lori. That was a beautiful story. Good morning. I'm Ben Miles. I'm the treasurer uh, on the board of trustees. And I'm here today to talk to you a little bit about the visionary goal process. And if you don't hear anything else I say, please listen to this carefully. The board would like you to be involved in the visionary goal process. I'll say that one more time. The board is asking you and requesting and needing you to be involved in the visionary goal process. Um, if you don't know, the church reconsiders its visionary goals every five years. So this process will determine the goals that we set for the next five years. And I like, um, we're working with Laura, I'm forgetting her last name, Park. Laura Park from Unity Consulting, and she had something to say about the framing for the con congregation that I'd like to read because I think it's really well said. We are church. We exist to transform people and transform the world. And so the process of developing our visionary goals is a coven covenantal process of relationship in which we listen together in small groups to what we long for ourselves, our relationships with each other, and the impact we have in the larger world. In other words, we do theology together, listening for where love is calling us in our diversity and similarities, listening for where love is flowering and lifting that up so that our board can help steward us toward the future that is seeking to emerge from among us. The visual and artistic among us must, be, must best imagine this is a vision board that we make together that guides our lives together over the next five years. I think that's written on a piece of paper out there, so if you're leaving this, and um, I had a hard time following that myself, so there's a, there's a um, paper outside that describes the process and has some beautiful wor words from Alora as well. Um, there's a few other things I want to share. One is the logistics, just to reiterate, but again, there's a paper out there that will um, highlight this. Before I do that, I do want to tell you that we are be being guided by a big, powerful question this year, and so I'm going to name that a couple times so you can um, get introduced to that question. If we prioritize the joy and liberation of the most marginalized, what could our collective future be like? So I'll read that one more time. And again, this is our big question. If we prioritize the joy and liberation of the most marginalized, what could our collective future be like? So here's a few logistics. Um, so starting tomorrow will be our first session, and there'll be 15 sessions over the course of four weeks. Most of these are in the evening, but there will be some daytime options as well. Uh, you can participate in person, and we also have the option to participate via Zoom. 
Um, each, each workshop will be led by two trained facilitators from the congregation and a board member will also be president. They are two hours in length and there will be snacks. <laughs> there will be childcare available and they need to request and you need to request that one week in advance so we can have people available to provide childcare. Um, we are using an online setup from which is available on the homepage of the church website. And there's also flyers out there with a QR code for sign up and a little more description. We really encourage each and every one of you to sign up for this process. It was good to be with you this morning, and you are in for a treat of a service because I already heard Lori's sermon, and it's really good. So um, thank you. You know that song, we are going, heaven knows where we are going, but we know within, heaven knows where we are going. Well, that's because, uh, that's because uh, we haven't ref uh, refinished our visionary goals. And the moment that we decide on a common destination for our journey, the journey itself hones. And each of us has an important voice, an important place in that work. Please do not think that your voice is not important to this process. It is. Thank you so much, Ben. I welcome you into a time of contemplation, a time of shared breath, a time to keep silence with one another, a time of prayer. I offer a poem, the words of Maya Angelou, to guide us to prepare the way for our quiet keeping. And then we'll have a bit of silence. The prayer comes next. Dr. Angelou writes, We, unaccustomed to courage, exiles from delight, we live coiled in shells of loneliness until love leaves its high holy temple and comes into our sight to liberate us to life. Love arrives and in its train come ecstasies, old memories of pleasure, ancient histories of pain. Yet, if we are bold, love strikes away the chains of fear from our souls. We are weaned from our timidity in the flush of love's light. We dare be brave. And suddenly, we see that love costs all we are and will ever be. Yet it is only love which sets us free. We are weaned from our timidity. We dare be brave. And suddenly we see that love costs all we are and will ever be. Yet it is only love which sets us free. A bit of quiet now to keep one another. I'll watch the clock.
There is more love somewhere. There is more love somewhere. I'm gonna keep on till I find it. There is more love somewhere. In this collection of shared silence and melody and harmony, I invite you now If you have a prayer, a name you'd like to add to the community's consciousness, if you'd like to speak a word of truth from yourself so that we might hold it with you, we open the circle now for you to speak or keep silent in your heart. Thank you. Thank you. May our prayers now the ones that we keep silent in our hearts, the ones that we say out loud, may they all be held in the warmth of this community. May we keep each other well that way. I invite you to pray with me and Lori. We'll pray with a song, the words of the late Reverend Rob Eller Isaacs, who gave us this gem of a ritual, of a prayer. The way we respond is, we forgive ourselves and each other. We begin again in love. Will you sing that with me? We forgive ourselves and each other. We begin again in love. For remaining silent when a single voice would have made a difference. We forgive ourselves and each other. We begin again in For each time that our fears have made us rigid and inaccessible. We forgive 
ourselves and each other, we begin again in love. For each time that we have struck out in anger without just cause, we forgive ourselves and each other. We begin again in love. For each time that our greed has blinded us to the needs of others, we forgive ourselves and each other. We begin again in love. For the selfishness which sets us apart and alone, we forgive ourselves and each other. We begin again in love. For falling short of the admonitions of the Spirit, we forgive ourselves and each other. We begin again in love. For losing track of our unity, we forgive ourselves and each other. We begin again in love. For these and for so many acts, both evident and subtle, which have fueled the illusion of separateness. We forgive ourselves and each other. We begin again in hope of this church is to begin again in love over and over, to share a journey of spiritual growth and to live out our faith in the world. We will now take an offering that allows us to enact that faith and growth. This week we share our plate with earthquake relief efforts in Turkey and Syria and I heard someone lift that up in our prayers. Thank you. Uh, we will specifically be donating following the direction of our own Unitarian Universalist Service Committee. And as always, if you need to receive 
rather than give at this time. We welcome you and we invite you to get in touch with one of our ministers or staff that we may lovingly share the resources of this congregation with you. The offering will now be gratefully received. feel extra grateful for Dr. Glenn Thomas this morning for holding down the fort with me. Dream team, tag team duo. So I'd like to preface this sermon today by saying that uh, you've already heard and you're going to hear a lot of talk of God and Christianity today. And if you're new to First You or if you've never heard me preach before, that's unusual. So just, it's okay. But I feel that it's important for us to understand where we've come from, and the Unitarians and the Universalists we talked about earlier were Christian denominations, Christian heresies, in fact, which is pretty exciting. So this congregation, and many like it, talk a lot about love these days rather than God, but originally, for the Universalists in particular, that, that love they were talking about was God's love. So nowadays when people, Unitarian Universalists, believe a wide variety of things, does the love change meaning when we mean something different by God, when many of us don't believe in God at all or any gods? Uh, these are the questions I'm really interested in. So I think I'm going to go through the history to try to find out a little bit more of how that thought determined what we did. So back in the day, in Christian Europe, there was this idea that wealth supposedly signaled goodness, 
and that God loved you and had blessed you with wealth and power. And if you were poor, if you were in poverty, it signaled that you must have done something wrong and that you would be sent to H-E double hockey sticks. But poor people were like, mm, <laughs> that doesn't seem fair. I didn't do anything wrong. And it seems like it's mostly the wealthy people who are saying that that's how it works. So I'm a little suspicious. And the wealthy merchants were the ones who donated money to the church and the priests and gave taxes to the king and the priests blessed the king and the king protected the merchants and all of them just happened, most of them happened to be men. And so people started to be like, hmm, are you sure that God wants that or is that what you want? <laughs> all these powerful dudes agreed that they had power because God wanted it that way, that God loved them and had chosen them and had blessed them because they were good. So then if you weren't powerful, well, that must, that must mean that you were bad or stupid or weak. And that really wasn't fair for a lot of people. Uh, let me hear who you think might not have agreed with all that. Women? Yeah, for sure. Who else? The poor? Yep. The workers? the non-Christians, people with disabilities, right? People of color, anyone who was told, oh, it's God wants it that way that you're suffering. We're like, mm, I don't know about this. The poor folks in particular, which was most of them, uh, started to think, well, what if wealth and poverty didn't have anything to do with God choosing to love and bless only a few people? What if God loved everyone? These folks thought, well, yeah, maybe life isn't fair and it's pretty hard, but after we die, maybe we'll all just be included in heaven. We'll all get to be with God together. And that's called, that was called Christian universalism. And it was really radical at the time. It made a lot of powerful people really mad. Because if there's no threat of hell, what's going to get you to behave, you know? What's going to get you to follow their rules? And so this was like our boy Hosea Ballou from the story earlier, saying, Dad, will you love me even if I get muddy? I like that story a lot. It's, it's a really sweet one. But I do want to just point out that there's something missing. Did anyone else notice who was missing from the end of that story? His sisters. That's right. They never get an apology from Hosea. They never get a break from all that cleaning. Nobody ever makes it up to them. So this Christian universalist idea that we'll all be included in heaven, that even if you make a big mess and make other people clean it up, you just get to go to heaven, no problem. Who might not have loved that idea? Yeah, women. Women and most of those other people we talked about earlier, right? The folks who had been treated really poorly, they were like, wait, the people who treated us poorly, they just get to go to heaven? What are, what are you talking about? So... Now, we were in Christian Europe, and now we're moving up to early America, a couple hundred years ago or so, and some universalists, including quite a few women, thought it wasn't fair if God included people in heaven, even if they had done really awful things, at least not straight to heaven. So some universalists thought, okay, maybe after death, there's a place called purgatory, kind of like afterlife detention where people who had done bad things sort of sit for a while and they think about what they did. <laughs> they don't get punished for eternity. It's not like that, it's temporary. But there's something, uh, their soul gets restored. It's like Hosea getting a bath. These folks thought God loves everyone and makes life fair, it makes the afterlife fair. And they called that restoration universalism. And so, yeah, that's a bit more fair, right? That seems that makes a little more sense. The one small problem is that all that fairness happens after you die. So who in early America might not be satisfied living their whole lives under the thumb of really cruel people in the harshest conditions imaginable, just hoping that it all gets sorted out after everybody kicks the bucket? Yeah, folks who were enslaved, absolutely. You want us to just, oh, you just have to be okay with this? No. So now we're up to the last hundred years or so. Black folks in America had struggled for their freedom and been emancipated, but things were, and still are, rigged to be really unfair towards them. 
universalism, this idea that everyone is included and yay, we all love each other, like wasn't really catching on. The universalists were like, why can't we seem to get any black members? Well, it was nice, but it, it was missing a little something. Now there is notable black universalist history, such as the Reverend Joseph Jordan and his daughter, Annie Willis. They uh, led church and they created a universalist school for black children in Virginia. Unfortunately, the larger faith, the universalists and eventually the Unitarian universalists, their support of the Jordan school was like kind of uneven. They kept trying to get them to change the school into something different or they, this is true, they removed Reverend Jordan from being in charge and they put a white guy from Boston in charge instead. Yeah. Or they pulled funding for it, right? So not our best moment. But even so, the Jordans kept that school going for 70 years until 1974. But for most black Americans, universalism has never really caught on because it didn't address their lived reality. It didn't have that fairness component now, not just after we die. So black and brown folks heard all this Christian talk about God and the afterlife, and they asked, aren't you all forgetting somebody in the Christian story? In South America and in black America in the 1960s, Christians highlighted that God had squeezed God's self into a human named Jesus, and that Jesus was born in a barn, dirt poor, that Jesus hung out with foreigners and outcast women and people with disabilities and lowly Roman bureaucrats that even his friends hated. Jesus was Jewish under the oppressive Roman Empire, and Jesus was unjustly killed by that empire. In the Christian understanding, God experienced all that. So these folks, like the Peruvian priest Gustavo Gutierrez and the black American theologian James Cone and many others thought, okay, God does love everyone. We believe that. And God prioritizes those who are poor and imprisoned and displaced and in despair because God has felt all that firsthand. God is with those folks. So we should all work to change things until no one is oppressed anymore. And that's called liberation theology. And so that brings us to the present day. Now today, Unitarian Universalists say that though our beliefs vary widely, some of us believe in the Christian God or the Jewish God, Buddhism, paganism, no gods at all, our beliefs vary widely but together we choose to side with love. That's the name of our national social justice campaign, side with love. That's similar to the liberation theologians. It's saying, yes, we affirm every person, from the privileged to the oppressed, everyone has worth and dignity. Everything from the harm to the harmful is connected in the interdependent web of being. And Unitarian Universalists side with those who are oppressed and hurting to work for change until we are all free. The black feminist author, Bell Hooks, tells us there is no love without justice. What does that mean for universalism? Inclusion isn't enough. We need to work for restorative justice on earth, a restoration universalism here, now. We need to pitch in and wash what we make muddy. That's love in action. And in the coming weeks and months, you each have some great opportunities to side with love. Here at First You, our incredible commitment to beloved community team will be seeking input on behaviors that can build the beloved community right here. The visionary goals workshops that Ben mentioned earlier will help this community of communities to decide who you aim to be in the next five years. And in each of our personal lives, I invite us to reflect on where in the wider community we can side with love. Earlier this year, I saw um, a statue, a bronze statue of a figure asleep on a bench, shrouded in a blanket. His head was covered, you couldn't see his face, but his feet stuck out like the blanket was too small. It looked like a statue of someone experiencing homelessness huddled uncomfortably on a bench to snatch some sleep 
before some cop tells him he can't sleep there. If you looked close at the statue's feet, you could see two marks, two holes, evoking Jesus after the crucifixion. Now, I am not Christian, but I can understand that this statue expresses solidarity with folks who have been oppressed, folks who are, have been displaced, have been forgotten. And this statue reminded me that the universe, or God, or love, or whatever term resonates with that holy oneness, is part of each of us, and that each of us is part of the universe. So we are connected to each other in our suffering and in our joy. The beloved community can't be built from the middle up. Love lives in the souls and bodies of people who are harmed and excluded. Love lives in the souls and bodies of people who harm and exclude. Love lives in the souls and bodies of those who witness harm and don't do anything about it. And each of us has been those people. We've each been harmed and caused harm and ignored harm at different points in our life. Some, are only, feel, some only feel those pains occasionally, and some are only free from those pains occasionally. But when someone causes harm or ignores harm or has to bury their heart to get through all the harm that's put on them, that separation requires that we cut our souls off from the connectedness of all life. It requires that we forget what we truly are. That illusion of separateness hurts more than words can say. And when we take actions that are aligned with love and justice, we remember who and what we truly are. Facets of the holy oneness. When we side with love, we go beyond inclusion and we work for justice. We remember that our liberation is literally bound up together. So let us feel honored and undaunted at the sacred, liberating, universalist work still to be done. May it be so. Let's sing together. Will you rise? The hymn is Love Will Guide Us. Love will guide us. Love will guide us. Peace has tried us. Hope inside us will lead the way. On the road, on the road from greedy to giving. Love will guide us through the hard night. If you cannot, if you cannot sing like angels, if you cannot speak before thousands, you can give from deep within you. You can change the world with your love. Love will guide has tried us, hope inside us will lead the way on the road from greed to giving. Love will guide us through the hard Our benediction today is the poem, Wake Into Love, by Soretta Morgan. I want to wake every morning into love, where love is the question, how am I gonna help you get free? And where that means whatever it needs to mean. May it be so. Thanks for listening. 
If you've been comforted or inspired by this podcast, please consider supporting our ministry. Podcasts are free to download, but they cost money to make. Visit firstuniversalistchurch.org slash donate to make your gift. We'd love for you to join us in person or online on Sunday mornings. To learn more, visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org.